Good day, good day, Doc Spacers. You're listening to the Doc Space Startup School Podcast. Starting a medical practice may seem like a dinosaur of an idea, but with the advancements of technology and the remote flexibility of care management, it's never been easier. Hi, I'm Dr. Mario Amaro. I'm a United States Navy veteran, a medical physician, and a health tech founder on a new mission to help clinicians rediscover their autonomy and bring back private medical practice. DocSpace Startup School is a virtual course that's built and designed to help clinicians navigate the medical practice formation process. In this podcast, we will interview some of the industry's leading experts in health law, design, marketing, finance, and tons of other exciting topics to help you better prepare to start and manage a successful medical practice. Welcome to the DocSpace crew. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Ariel McNichol. She is the founder and CEO of ModiSpark, which is a wellness and chronic care support application that provides personalized video for patients and clinicians. Ariel is an expert designer, a creative director, and a repeat startup founder. Today at DocSpace Startup School, Ariel will be speaking from the patient's perspective, helping us better understand how to use technology to engage with patients in settings that are outside of traditional clinical spaces. I want to introduce the co-founder and CEO at ModiSpark, Ariel McNichol. Ariel, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my name is Ariel McNichol, and yeah, I'm, I'm leading an, uh, a promising startup that takes video and sort of makes it accessible and feel more like social media for patients so that doctors have a tool in their toolkit where they can give patients ongoing motivational support without really having to do anything. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into this? So, yeah, I come from a consumer design background. I, I've been creating software, designing it for a long time. I was at Apple and Disney and I had a, an avatar startup. And a couple of years ago, I myself was kind of struggling to make lifestyle changes and just could not believe at how bad all the existing tools were. And so I sort of started creating these prototypes to see if I could nudge myself to make healthier choices at the times that I needed to, like when I wanted to go exercise or late at night when I would eat like a crazy person. Um, and I actually was in grad school to become a, a therapist as part of like a midlife crisis sort of thing. And it all came together in what's now Modi Spark. And, and I was able to tap into um, my co-founder who I had met you know, at the, in the height of the early social media days. He was one of the co-founders of MySpace. Um, and he's married to a doctor and has a lot of experience within the healthcare system. And he saw an opportunity in his space to kind of deliver video and patients will actually consume and watch it, knowing you know how high the traffic is on YouTube and even TikTok for healthcare-related um, information. So we sort of set about to, to create a solution. Yeah, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is health literacy and more specifically utilizing technology to better engage with patients, but on a different perspective. I feel like a lot of uh, video systems or platforms that 
kind of exist or popping up in the health uh, healthcare space or health tech space is that they're really focusing on trying to get in patients or to engage in a specific app. I, I, I like how you at ModiSpark are doing something different. You're trying to engage via SMS to kind of a push, you know, those messaging services directly targeting patients to kind of really focus on themselves, what's happening in their day, how are they really, you know, feeling, what's the thoughts, how are they interacting with their doctor, what's going on in their current progress, you know, those things to me are what we don't get to see from a physician's perspective or a clinician's perspective, right? We're, we're, we're separated, there's a gap that we don't live with that patient every single day, we don't live those experiences, but we do want to know those experiences, and unfortunately, with the time constraints that we currently have due to the system, we can't get those nuances, those small details that may be so instrumental in understanding how we can better impact the patient's, you know, care management, like, you know, to even just beyond the care from a psychological perspective, right? Like how can we make sure that we understand how this patient is feeling in a given moment, because we all have our down moments. We all have our times where we don't feel like we can do something specifically if it's a new type of treatment plan, or if it's a new type of medication that they're taking and they're not seeing positive results immediately or when they think they should. And that could be so, you know, discouraging. Right. And so these pushes that you're giving little nudges, right. They're golden. And, and, and so, I definitely want to use this podcast to speak from the patient perspective, if we could, you know, um, I definitely don't want to, uh, a lot of the focus has been on talking about it from the doctor starting their practice or tech being used to better engage patients. But if, if you could please indulge me a little bit and let's talk sure. about from the patient, how do you feel video is impacting patient health literacy? Yeah, I think, I think the, what we found is that um, like some of the existing videos that are out there, the stuff that patients can get on portals are just really boring <laughs> and a little condescending. And so, you know, you can, you can ask, you know, participants that license different um, video libraries from, you know, within the app orchard or whatever, that they don't get it great engagement numbers. And I think, you know, you have to imagine your patients are sort of like, you or a family member that's not going to sit there and watch really long videos that make them feel guilty about eating badly or something like that. So I think consumer, like patients as the consumer, want things that make them feel good, that are um, that have hope and all of the kind of stuff that we all as human want. Like we, shame, I think, is a huge problem. Um, and inadvertently, the way that I think physicians might be taught to speak to patients can tr trigger a sense of shame in them. So, for example, when we started, um, our little video nudges have greetings and occasional tips for the patients from their providers. Although I, I should define that providers take one set of videos that are then sent to all of their patients. So they're not giving out personal health information through the videos or giving out sort of like generic greetings and tips. Um, but we didn't script these very stringently. And we found, we had remote care nurses telling patients on the South side of Chicago that had three jobs and 
five kids that their favorite healthy snack was like fresh blueberry kale smoothies. And we were like, oh no. <laughs> like, you know, you can't tell someone that has no like realistic ability to create a blueberry smoothie at 10 o'clock at night after working two jobs. We've, we found that we help the caregivers give advice and tips that took the patient's lifestyle into perspective. And this can be really tiring. I think as you're saying, like all the nurses and physicians that we've worked with all care and they want to give accessible information to their patients, but it is quite stressful to have to do that only at a, a you know, an in-person meeting. So we found if we can help extend that and also help, like help physicians understand what might be accessible food choices or exercise tips for someone that has had amputations and things like that, that that's sort of how we want to help the patients feel like they're getting empathetic care from their caregivers. Yeah. Using video or, you know, providing video, a resource to video, it's not something new, right? Like we all do it, you know, we're, we're, we're using it now for the podcast We're you know, we're doing, we've, video chat with our phones, with our, with our family members and our loved ones, you know, so it's something that a lot of companies are trying to optimize for right now, right? They're creating new products, thinking it's a better way and not just companies, you know, hospital care organizations, large or, you know, uh, retail centers are trying to optimize through video to better engage with patients. But I would like to know from your interacting, your feedback, the, the things that patients are saying about video, how do they feel it really impacts the way they communicate with their doctors? So well, I humbly say like the way that we've gotten the patient reactions from how Modi Spark delivers video, like you were saying, it comes through text messages. We don't ask patients to download anything, but those text messages launch a browser, which um, can be accessible on, you know, pretty much any smartphone or tablet, or even PC, they love them. Like, we get these messages that say, like, please, you know, keep the videos coming. They made me feel less lonely. That was just the message I needed. I was feeling down. Um, We get thanks and all of this, like, amazingly positive feedback from the patients. Um, And I think, like, we, we... have started this company as a for-profit entity and to do the right thing, but we've really focused on markets where fee-for-service no-shows cost our providers money and our revenue model is to deliver them more patient attendance and loyalty. And through these empathetic video nudges, we have quadrupled appointment attendance. And so I think what that is saying is that, yes, the patients are reacting like, thank thankful and and appreciative and um, it's demonstrated through the outcomes of patient attendance we are not tracking clinical outcomes we do have some grant partnerships to do that over the long run but i think what it's saying is that just saying i hope you're doing well i look forward to talking to you and some sort of like humane um relatable content provider is incredibly powerful. So we have providers say things like, 
after a long day, if I'm going to binge watch, I watch blank. You know, I, I'm so curious what you do to de-stress after a long day. And a message like that, even though we are not delivering the video back to the provider, um, because we don't want to add time to their day and, and the CPT codes for reviewing digital media are not yet lucrative enough for us to, to make that a, a direct sale. And there's also more integration issues. I think just even that one way, like warm, fuzzy, caring tone is incredibly powerful and patients really want it. Yeah. Something that you really plugged into that I think a lot more health tech startups need to really evaluate when it comes to their business model or how they market themselves, which is impacting patient outcomes. You know, um, I think a lot of uh, companies that start to develop their product immediately try to sell that to whether it's hospital organizations or if it's patients themselves or doctors themselves is that use our product. It's going to improve your patient outcomes. And the thing is, is I like that you said that you're not focusing on that, right? It's because uh, I think here we have to understand from a, a talent perspective or even from a healthcare perspective, who ultimately is responsible, right? What is a resource to make that valuable as if you are the healthcare clinician, your job is to improve patient outcomes, right? Should you optimize by bringing in products that are meant and telling you they're going to improve your patient outcomes. I, you know, there's no, it's, it's adding so many more tools that you're going to have to check and see if it's correctly impacting what they're saying they're going to do. So in, in theory, it sounds like, oh, this is going to work, but in reality, you're not going to track it. You're not going to know it's just an additional expense, right? So t being open and front and honest and saying, look, we just want to help you engage. We want to help make it better experience for the patient. So that way they ultimately can empower themselves and then be build a better relationship with their, with their physician. Right. And there are their healthcare provider. Right. So I totally respect it. And I, and I believe that um, that's the way a lot of medicine health tech should really pitch itself and tell them, okay, you are the professional. You're the one trained to do this. But patients are real people, right? They need motivation. They need someone to be in the room with them when you're not there. And, you know, it could be something as a simple nudge, a video, you know, nudge. And we're all familiar with it. You know, we have Instagram stories, Facebook stories, all these little small snippets of video or even text or whatever it is that does light up our day, right? And so I totally get the theory behind it or the the, the process about what you're doing. And I, and I talk about it all the time. And that's why I wanted to, you know, interview for the podcast because I felt like it is something that I believe is important. And we really need to get involved deeper into utilizing these type of small little clips into uh, medical practice. Um, so, you know, I, I do have a question as far as what do you feel patients are requesting? Do you, do you feel like they're trying to say this is enough? Is video enough? Or is there more of a combination that they're requesting? You know, I do have a bunch of data around how we've asked what they're requesting in terms of our product. So one of the 
features that maybe I didn't describe on the onset that relates to what you're saying around self-care and giving people, the the end patient, sort of a self-help tool outside of the caregiver, like empowering people to motivate themselves, is that we literally let them upload photos of their family. We let them um, pick, like if they like to watch cat videos or see touchdowns from their favorite team. And that kind of content is blended into the messages. And I loved how you framed it, like we, the area that Modi Spark our experts at is engagement, like from coming from a consumer background. So we're not able to, you know, cure someone of, um, give them antibiotics or understand what surgery they may need. But we do know that if somebody's anticipating seeing a cute cat in something um, every once in a while, that that will help make them want to look at something. And then within the nudges, we do interesting things with like implicit priming. So like, could almost say like subliminal messaging to make someone want to do something, but we're radically transparent about that with the patient and all that stuff. Um, but at, in many of the videos, it has a rate button. And when someone rates their message, they ask for things. And so we've seen that people like to see health tips, like they, they love getting little tips. So we had a deployment with dialysis patients, for example, and we put like, tips that we bubbled up from Facebook groups and all sorts of different forums where people talked about how to prepare ice because, you know, quenching thirst for a diabetic is a big problem. Um, And had like made little snippets of real people saying things and those were blended into the videos and people loved that. They want a lot, they want health tips, see more of their own content, And then at the end, at this point, we've had this program in the chronic care management space that lasts three months, and then it's done. And at the end of the three months, the patients get to check what kind of sparks they would like. And they love them around food, exercise, and mood. Um, Recently, we started one for Latino youth here in with Children's Hospital of LA, and we're just getting the same kind of feedback. And we have like, give us study tips. So it's really like if there is a way within this self-help world to give patients the kind of information that you can see trending in social media and Google searches, if you look at healthcare tips, that they want that. And I think there's this golden opportunity to take the brand of the provider to give that, but not literally make the provider do it, but it should be that trust of the kind of lifestyle tips given from a healthcare provider are much more powerful and also less subject to be like completely crazy than stuff someone's going to find just looking on Google. No. Yeah. And, and you're, you're basically what you're saying and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's your kind of an extension from like, how doctors think of like they have to use marketing, right? SEO, these different type of tactics to continue to rediscover and, and maintain retention, decrease their churn, all these different things for their patients, you know, when they're starting off their practice is that you're saying, look, you're also going to have to manage them ongoing while you're trying to onboard new people, right? And so you're, you can't be a thousand places at one time, you know, but your patients still need to know 
that you do care that you, you know, there is some empathy there. There is some understanding that you want to be in the know, you know, and this provides you an additional channel to be able to do that. Right. And I, I, I think we have to start thinking that way. How can we continue to engage with patients if we are not presently in the room? And there's actually a quote that we have on our page for our mission is that um, it's from Robin Williams. And he, he states, you know, the people have the opportunity to create things, right? And when they're inside the room together, the ability to create things is like tenfold, right? It's like 10x. And so our thing is we want to give people the ability to continue to create even when they're not in the same room, right? And so that's where virtual care comes into play or, you know, the ability to not be um, really tackled down or you have to be able to stay be in one place because traditional sense of healthcare says I have to have a physical space. The patient can only see me in this physical space. This is where medicine happens because I have to have it. So medicine must occur only in this physical space. Right. And I disagree with that. I think that removes everything that happens in the patient's life. Right. Outside of that physical space by so removing the requirement for physical space to only happen there it now gives the flexibility for us to be able to be engaged 24 seven using tech like, you know, Modi spark and, you know, the ability to, to manage these type of tech with a system like DocSpace, it get, it really changes the way patients build relationships and manage those relationships with their doctors and any type of healthcare clinicians. But, you know, I, I am curious to know, have you experienced any struggles with adoption, you know, getting doctors interested or getting patients interested, or maybe even health systems interested? You talked about dialysis, you know, being a part of dialysis patients. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those experiences? Oh, yeah. And then I would love your advice on something because the way you just framed like the need for kind of like smart marketing really like perked mm -hmm. my ears up and it goes to the, yeah, we've had huge problems with, I would call it sales. So the way that we've gotten in is through remote patient monitoring and chronic care management, because those are, they're standalone businesses that themselves sell into systems. If they can't, you know, sustain the 20 minute minimum interaction threshold, they cannot build. And so it's very easy for us to go into that system and increase um, utilization and, and demonstrate that return on it, you know, show our value immediately. We were brought into dialysis patients through this mechanism, not directly into a DaVita clinic through DaVita. And we got the most amazing engagement rates and all of this self-reported improvements from the patients and from their nurses. And so we've been trying, we've talked to DaVita. We've gone to them and said, look, like, take this. You do your own pilots. I bet you're going to improve retention. This, your social workers that they have wandering around each place are probably going to, you know, say that their jobs are easier. They get better outcomes or what? I don't, you know, we re they should just take it and run with it. It has been impossible. They have referred us to an investment group that they use. And they said, you know, when you're 10 times as big, come back to us, but you're too small right now. Um, so I think as a start of getting into large healthcare systems is extremely difficult here in, in California. 
you know, with the, we, with, we've been talking to a very large public payer, Medi-Cal, for a year. And it is extremely hard. We say we don't want any money until we define a pilot phase and then we'll take 35% of your increase in revenue. That is our model. And it, it, it's like a win-win situation. We also do not require integration into EHRs or EMRs. We don't even want it at this point. And it's just very, it's very hard to break through the noise of a lot of ineffective tools that promise patient engagement and patients get super annoyed because they're like robocalls or very annoying text messages. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a magical struggle to sell. Um, that's probably as a startup, our biggest struggle is not, you know, once we get in the outcomes are great and it's software, so it scales itself. Um, on a, I mean, I should say one of the other like secondary struggles, but it's minor compared to this, is literally human error. So if you don't have the right cell phone number, it's not going to get to the patient. So the way that it works now is that a scheduler or a, a physician or a, a, a remote care nurse asks a patient if they would like these motivational videos and then just types in their first name and their phone number and then we take it from there. And there's been about consistently about 17% error rate on that. And so then we have to go back and say, you know, we, we got a bounce from that number. It wasn't, you know, it's not correct. Um, lastly, I think this, we've sort of figured out how to do this, but getting people to video, getting providers to video themselves was difficult at first. And then we have winnowed it down to saying, when you create selfie videos, walking to your car or sitting as you would when you're sending a message to your child or something, that is the tone that's really effective. So you do not need to worry about being in a fancy office. People feel it's much more accessible. And then we found that we have to script the prompts very tightly because left open-ended, it's like, oh my God, I have to think about that. I'll do that tomorrow because I really don't want to have to bother like thinking right now. So we've created these little pages with little examples from other providers. And so it, it just seems easy. It has to be super easy for them. And then they like it because they'll get a, we, sh, we will always send back to the provider. Our system takes their videos and adds literally music and sparkles or words on top of it um, and enhances the, the visuals a little bit with different like skin tone filters and stuff like that, that I think they feel proud. We've even had like a bunch of people ask if they can send, send sparks to family members because they just want to share that, like they're the star of these little videos. Yeah, no, um, man, you're, you're, you're really hammering on a topic that I just love. And I've been talking about it for, for months, actually in the startup school, we're part of what we're doing there is getting doctors used to being on camera which is really weird. You would think that people, especially, you know, millennials, the generations of doctors that we're really focusing on, um, they're used to it, you know, but we're, they're not, 
They're really not. And so we are teaming up people in a startup school together to uh, get used to doing videos. And we kind of host them on, look, this is what you need to do. This is how you engage it. It should be totally, it doesn't have to be in some fancy room. You're wearing your white coat and some tie or, you know, or some fancy blouse or something like, no, you don't like it. Just keep it normal because patients are, are already accepting you. They've already accepted who you are. They, you're, you're now their doctor. So they want you to look real and be real. You know, the, the more that you kind of pretend to be the stern person and you're separating that wall, because sometimes there is a wall of professionalism that we can't see through. And it does prevent them from further engaging beyond a level where it's personal, where they're sharing details with you that they normally would not, right? And that's where you need to get because those things could be really critical of hammering down a specific diagnosis or maybe preventing something from occurring, right? Like there's so so many things that, um, that you, we don't teach one another in regards to communication and how our level of professionalism can prevent us from building those relationships. And, and another thing too, what you talked about was those little s- small snippets from individual patient voices that you put together into a video and shared it with patients to help encourage you know, whatever the issue was or whatever you know, that, that specific topic was. I... 100% agree that patient voices need to be heard. Um, you know, it's great that the doctor is behind the camera um, talking about themselves. You know, there's like a big thing on Twitter right now of doctors doing TikTok and, you know, stuff, you know, which is cool. I love it. It's great. But if you're really looking at targeting patients um, and trying to improve health literacy, there's nothing stronger than the patient's voice themselves. You know, um, it's like when you think of reviews, right? right? Is another doctor reviewing you and the patient's going to pick you because another doctor said you were good? You know, <laughs> probably yeah. not. But if you have tons of real patients that are verified that they know, all right, a real patient has the same similar disease or diagnosis or whatever, um, or reason to go to this doctor, you know, said that doctor, the experience is good. I'm probably going to choose that service. But if another doctor that's probably their colleague or something, you know, a buddy or a friend was like, Hey, look, go to this doctor. It's a really good doctor. You know, right. and we're like, okay, let me buy, let me pass this doctor. <laughs> like yeah, I'm not like going to that. Trust. Yeah. Trust is so powerful. I have this thing in me that, so I've been in the, you know, making, I've made horrible games like games to get tweens to watch ads so they could earn points to chat with youtubers like stuff that's just around addicting people to crap and it's all this hooked model of like surprise and novelty and and personalization i think that the the fact that people are looking at healthcare information on tiktok and then they're unable to put their phone down is like a moral crisis that is a design as a designer, really, like healthcare deserves something a little bit better than that. Like people, I think community voices and patient verified, like you were saying, verified patient voices bubbling up is super important. But I think that the need, I think we have to make things not be so addicting. So Modi Spark intentionally doesn't come 50 times a day. There is no endless feed of stuff for people to scroll through. We create these 
videos that are always different is the software is like a patented engine that sort of like a, a slot machine of variabilities of different kinds of content that come together and patients can review all of their past videos. But I think sending them not all the time and not making it a, a destination is sort of a, is a health, a health conscious choice that we've made. Like we want patients to get the information, feel supported and then move on with their life and not feel like they have to scour through a gazillion things. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's again, going back to the word resource, it's basically what it is. It's a resource. It's not an extension. When you, when you add an extension then it becomes a requirement, you know, like be, you know, and, and that's the thing It's like, what, what do you, what is your goal here? Is your goal is to get them so addicted, you know, it's, it, it is, a, um, you know, they call it a habit forming app, right? It's like the home screen app. It's like, it has to be clicked on and you must use it in order to provide this service or, or perceive this service. Um, I actually tweeted about that yesterday, which is, I don't like it when a service requires me to use its app, um, just to get, receive something and more. I don't like it when it's an healthcare app. Like if I have to download your app to get healthcare service, I'm probably not going to use it. Um, or if I do have to use it, I'm going to download it and probably find it something else to not use it, you know? Right. And, and think yeah, about it crazy like how laborious most digital health apps are like pay, yeah they require so much logging of content and information i find it kind of hilarious like do p people really think patients are going to check in and type in their mood three times a day if like there's so, and that was part of the reason I started Modi Spark was looking at um, some very big players in the digital therapeutics space um, that got the very first one that got FDA approval did so on a paid cohort study. So they paid patients that they recruited through Craigslist and Facebook ads $400 to use an app for I think it was three months and sure enough, clinical outcomes improved. The thing is after you start paying patients to use something like this and you throw it out as a tool in the real world, patients don't use them. They're just too hard and time consuming and not fun to use. So it has, yeah, the tool that the patient's actually gonna interact with, the, the user flow needs to be super easy or it's just not gonna get used. And so I think, when you were talking before around like smart marketing for, for physicians, I have seen like some great digital front door stuff. Um, and I think that's super powerful and, and building social media like presence for physicians to build up reputation management. We don't do those kinds of things. I think they're very powerful. Um, I think, it's that's where like sort of getting your advice. We have not called ourselves a kind of marketing tool, but I think in, in many ways, maybe that positioning would make the sales process into larger systems easier. If we called ourselves like a digital video marketing uh, tool, that's, you know, whatever value based in the sense that we will improve your retention and appointment revenue or you pay nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be a better way to sort of try to bring awareness of what we're doing, perhaps the positioning. Like how, how do you find physicians responding to the notion of needing marketing or needing? Uh, they need a lot to say um, there because that's definitely one of the biggest struggles with doctors starting their medical practice is acquisition of their early patients you know, figuring out more creative ways that that's, that's, to me, that's the most exciting part of what we're doing at DocSpace is that we have the, the opportunity to experiment and really try to use things and tactics and strategies that have never been done in, in, in healthcare or even in digital health yet, um, because we are more e-commerce than we are, you know, digital health. And so it gives us tons of flexibility to really, you know, be in multiple places or be in places that never been done. I think the biggest thing with marketing for doctors is that we really have to think about and sell it to the point that this is not necessarily going to bring you patients. I think when you tell people, because everyone is telling doctors that they're saying, you know, we can get you a thousand patients immediately, pay us four or $5,000 or, you know, SEO here, create, put this on your website and it's going to drive more conversion, more user engagement, more patient engagement. You're going to have, you're going to convert to more leads. Like all that's fluff. And it definitely, there's a lot of white noise there. But I think if you pitch it from a perspective of, you know, this is going to improve your retention, not necessarily the initial, because the initial is so filled with so much white noise. So many people are telling patients are telling doctors that they could bring new patients and they never deliver, but they charge them so much money and they, they, they kind of, you know, believe the hype and then they end up being disappointed. And so the thing I think that that's really important for doctors to think about is um, retention. How do you maintain those patients, especially as we move to different types of business services from fee-for-service to value-based care to other type of business models that are, you know, popping up um, that we have to think about it from that regard. Like we need to make sure that we're able to keep the patients we currently have, keep them happy, keep them healthy, and then use that as leverage to grow the practice because health is kind of healthier, happier patients are going to talk about you. They're going to tell other people, I'm happy and I'm healthy with this doctor. And so they're going to want to tell other patients and other patients are going to hear. And then that what's called virality network effects, right? Those type of things do exist in medicine. And so it gives the opportunity for that doctor to grow their practices using patients. They already are treating. They know they built relationships with those are the strongest voices, the strongest marketing tools and something like Modi spark could help make that happen. I love that. That's awesome. What is the future plans of ModiSpark? Uh, what, what's, ha- what's in the pipeline? So right now we're focused on delivering our favorite customer, um, a remote patient monitoring specific experience. And so that is sort of the exact same model of where we believe that if, if a patient's individual physician says like, hope you're checking your blood pressure but in a non-shaming tone, along with motivational content, that compliance. Because so if, you know, the remote patient monitoring Medicare 
structure is that patients need to actually check their blood pressure or they can't bill for it at home um, and, and consistently. So that's a program that we're launching. We are also doing these two to measure outcomes in the diabetes space. In terms of features, what, what you're talking about, I'm so sorry that you might hear some dogs. Um, in terms of feature development, the patient voices component of that, of the platform is very, um, very simple right now. So we're working on making that much more dynamic so it can scale. Right now we, we custom vet every patient um, upload if it's shared with the community that doesn't scale so easily. So we're working on, on how we intelligently scale that up. Um, and then we have one program that is very limited in Spanish. The other big thing on our immediate timeline is making sure that the entire experience is available in Spanish. I'm sort of blown away at how limited the um, digital health experience is in Spanish across the board. Like we've been um, interacting a lot with the Children's Hospital in LA here. They have so many great um, initiatives. They have an amazing VR lab. And we were seeing that Disney provided all these great VR experiences inside the lab that teach kids all sorts of things. And it's only in English. And I, I am married to a Latino. I know Disney creates tons of stuff in Spanish. And I'm like, where's the VR in Spanish for the parents? Because the, the dominant family structure in LA is that um, kids that are bilingual, parents that are, are, have limited English speaking capacity. So you've got this terrible dynamic where an eight-year-old is having to tell their parent how they need to take care of them because they're getting the information and the parent is not. So I think there's this amazing need and opportunity to create content in Spanish that is like digestible and not text-based. So that's an area that we want to, to get into and, and help, help people and also market. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to languages, we have to all prepare not only for what is the current main language, like what's happening now, but what will become, right? Like languages, the top spoken languages around the world or even in the United States continue to evolve year over year, right? From decade to decade. What may be the most predominant language that's spoken now would not probably be what's happening in five to 10 years, you know? Um, so we have to prepare for not just the now, when we build this technology, we think about this technology, we have to build for the later as well, you know, um, and, and kind of predict what is going to happen based off of, you know, census, stuff like that, that's, that we're seeing. Um, but Ariel, I really appreciate it. I, this has been a really good, you know, um, you know, episode recording. I, I really enjoyed it. And I thank you for your time. And oh, um, no, I'm so thankful for this. I'm thankful for you looking at the lens of starting practices and how to use technology to enhance them. I think it's such a great question. And these legacy systems aren't asking it. There was one more thing I just remember that I wanted to mention about what patients want and, and improving retention rates for physicians. I think there's a lot of information about feeling trust with the provider. And I think providers need to recognize that if, as long as they have a PhD after their name and they went to a credible university, 
patients trust them. What comes next is emotional trust. It's like you were saying that they don't need to see a physician in a sterile environment. They need to see that the physician actually cares about them. And that is what I think often missing. And it's so powerful is that trust factor. Yeah, no, I, I, we could talk for hours about that, you know, and I can, I have so many opinions and I think there's so many ways that we're, we're not utilizing tech or we're not utilizing even an in-person appropriately to be able to build trust. Um, we separate, there's so many degrees of separation between us and the patient that we don't even recognize. And what I mean, we as physicians, as clinicians, we don't even recognize that we're setting up and, you know, it could be as simple as that white coat. You know, like that alone is a symbol that we see it as a checkbox, but patients see it as a wall, you know, a barrier. And like, there's so many different things, but, you know, uh, again, we may have to, you know, talk again in another podcast here later, but, you know, I, I think I'm really thankful that you were able to join us and I really appreciate it, Ariel. And um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for doing this. It's great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the DocSpace Startup School podcast. Please check us out at startupschool.mydocspace.com for more video lectures and product demos. And don't forget to join the DocSpace Startup School community to engage with other clinicians going through their journey of starting a medical practice.